Oh, you're absolutely right. How about that? See, we're pros. We yes. know things now. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it works. Yeah, if you can hear us, it works. Now I can't hear you. Now you can't hear me? Hello, hello. Can you hear me now? <laughs> can you hear me now? I barely hear you out of my left ear. So they must have a short or something in them. Oh. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, there you go. See? Oh, you're absolutely right. Because I can't hear you. How about that? See? We're pros. Yes. We know things now. <laughs> <laughs> Look uh-huh. at that. And we're also <laughs> pros at using five below equipment because this shit is expensive. I can imagine. Uh-huh. <laughs> so no, no echo on my end? You can hear no me? No echo. No, you sound great. Perfect. Okay, great. And you we sound- are recording just so you know right now. Yeah, it's all right. Don't, don't say so, anything bad about your family. <laughs> and the, we, <laughs> we can see the video, but the video is not recording, only the audio. So you can feel free to make as many faces at Johnny. <laughs> 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 Okay, great. Okay. All right, it's nice to meet you face-to-face. Same here, great. Um, thanks for being a guest today. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm honored. Yeah, this is going to be fun. Uh, our first remote guest. Yeah, you are our first remote guest. <laughs> That's so, amazing. I am thrilled that this all worked so you, easily. You will be the first one before our upcoming guest who I told you about yesterday. Oh, that's mm-hmm. right. He, he, oh, yeah. He gave you Can't the scoop. Wait. Uh-huh. Can't wait. <laughs> Now, hopefully, if things go well, I can be a repeat guest and come into your nice, um, your nice studio. Oh, that would be lovely. Yeah, you, you got to get back down here. Uh-huh. I was just telling Absolutely. her the last time I saw you when you came to Disney or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Looking forward to being able to travel again. Yeah. Hey, listen, we I'm going I'm going to Mexico in July. Congrats. You need to. Yeah, I'm doing it. Yeah. Get some rest. Yes. It'll be good. Because you know who I'm married to. <laughs> Joe might might feel kinship with you there, being married to me. I don't know. I'm spirited. Yes. I'm told. Yes, I think he does. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to season two, episode seven. I think of the strongly worded podcast. I'm Sue O'Lear, and I am Johnny Hampton, and we are coming at you not just from our lovely dining room studio, but we are guest. Is in New York. It's our first remote guest. We are using Squadcast today to to be able to speak with Charles Yarbrough. Welcome to uh, our remote studio. Um, ladies and gentlemen, just so you know, Charles was born and raised in Jamaica, New York, and he's in Bayshore right now with his wife and his lovely daughter. Um, he is a product of NYC Public Schools, and he graduated from Stony Brook University and Mercy College. They're both in New York State. Um, he is a teacher, 22 years, right, at George Washington Carver High School, yes. and a football and track coach, and impacting his community in numerous ways. Um, and he and Johnny have been friends. Almost 25 years. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow, believe- it's been that long. Can, listen, so <laughs> when I met when I met you, I was nineteen, and I was starting at Models, and it was probably like spring summer so it'll be 25 years this year don't do the math at home y'all <laughs> I, don't, I don't want you to know how says old the I accountant <laughs> yeah but, so welcome thank you for having say, me charles is older than me so well th- then there's that i'm probably older <laughs> than both of you slightly slightly yes. slightly slightly yeah so tell us um i mean just i, I gave the the written biography, but tell us a little bit about you and and what you're up to. Not much of anything now. Um, you know, the quarantine <laughs> that, has... That makes a fabulous <laughs> guest. What are you up to? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> and, and, and it's crazy, you know. Um, I guess now it's been a year since I've actually coached anything. Mm. Um, and, you know, we all kind of went in for quarantine at the same time and it's mm-hmm. been um, it's been difficult. Not so where really. you are up there, uh, there was no kind of sports season this fall. Like down here, it's the wild, wild west. We are back at it and everything. But you are nothing still. since March. We um, we were beginning now outdoor track and field season. Uh, I was two weeks in after break from football, and I thought that we would be back in September and mm-hmm. we're still waiting. We haven't heard anything from our um, governing body. Wow. So we're still, we're still waiting right now. So what happens to your kids, all your, all your kids while you're waiting? What are they doing? I wish I knew. Mm. It, it, it's, it's been so difficult on, on all of us. Um, at one point you, you try to get to them and reach out to them and say, yeah, we might hear something from them soon. And then soon becomes a month, and then a few people fall off the Facebook page. And mm-hmm. at this point, I haven't heard from my athletes in so long. Um, so we, we, we're looking forward to the spring. And I think that in New York City, the schools are opening again soon, the high schools at least. Mm-hmm. And uh, there may be hope that we can actually begin working out again in, in a month or so. So you've been home all this time. You haven't been in the classroom. No, I've been teaching remotely uh, since since last March. And how's that going? It's different. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, it's a gift and a curse. As a coach for so long, uh, the schedule has been just based on season after season after season. So, you know, we, we, we schedule vacations off of when the football season begins and when, when I may have a break, I may be able to do a quick trip somewhere or we'll get to go out. So for t- almost 20 years, my life has been really revolved around the sports that I've coached and n- you know, now it's not there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that, that's tough. You know, New York, man, just listen down here. Uh, it's like the wild, wild west, like Sue says. They put, they're putting teachers in harm's way. They don't have enough masks. They don't have enough anything. They've been put in a bad position. You guys, though, I mean, they closed the schools. I don't know how you feel about good old Cuomo up there, but uh, <laughs> they closed the schools, and you've been home a little bit. Well, I, I've been home. Um, there are some teachers who, well, I was fortunate enough to get an accommodation to stay home. And and it's worked out well because my, my daughter goes to school in, in a hybrid setting. She's home for three days and in school for two days. So I'm here for her. She's 11 years old and 
Um, if I was back in the building, I, I, I'm not sure what we would do. So I, I'm one of the lucky ones, but um, there's a lot of teachers who are back in their buildings, mm-hmm. including my wife. My wife's a teacher. She's an English teacher, and she teaches in the building five days a week. Wow. And how do you guys feel about that? Were you ready? She was more ready than I was. Mm. <laughs> so she's really a brave soul, and she, she went in, and she had her PPE. Um, you know, we're fortunate enough to be able to, you know, gather our own PPE. So she goes in with a mask, sometimes a face shield, and uh, she's, she's ready. She keeps her windows open, and... <laughs> It, it hasn't been too cold here too often, so we've been pretty fortunate. But she says no matter what, those windows are open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, his, uh. his, his wife is cut from the ebony slash Sioux cloth. So. <laughs> That's a good cloth. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, a very good cloth. It's a strong cloth. <laughs> very strong. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so, listen, I, yeah. you know, we, I wanted to have you on. We wanted to have you on. I, I thought of you when Sue said, hey. You got any friends that would want to be on? I thought of you, not because you know you're some famous person. Sue knows a lot of famous people, but <laughs> I do not. <laughs> but because you went, you grew up in Jamaica, Queens. Mm-hmm. You went to school, and then you came back and taught there. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about that because I got to be honest with you. Like, I, I love my hometown, but uh, I don't know if I could teach there. You know, how was that? Especially because you started 22 years ago. When you were still in your 20s, we were a lot different in our tw- <laughs> in our 20s. Absolutely. How was it dealing with those the kids from our environment? It, it was a conscious choice to teach uh, back home. When I entered teaching, I entered through a program. Um, I initially wanted to go to law school. And I graduated college and went through a, a short time of unemployment. And the professor I knew uh, through my grandmother, actually my, my grandmother worked for, the, he, she was a maid for him. Mm. And ironically, uh, I, I used to wear their, hand, their son's hand-me-downs, <laughs> believe it or not. Wow. Um, we, we didn't have a lot, so they would give away the clothes. And we, uh, we, we would gather them. But ironically, I ended up going to the same high school as their son. Mm. Uh, so we knew each other, <laughs> and, and, and I would high, And that high school, don't just gloss over what that high school is, Charles. That's one of the best high schools in New York City, is it not? Yes, I, I went to Stuyvesant High School, which is what they call a specialized high school in New York City. Um, some people may say it's one of the top schools in the city. And um, so I end up in the same school with this young man, and I know him because I have his name in, like, my T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> But his dad knew that I wanted to be a math teacher at some point. And so years later, when the opportunity came up, he invited me to join a program. And it was an intense summer program, and I spent the summer preparing to be a teacher. I didn't think anything of it. But at the end of that summer, I had an opportunity to either work in Manhattan or really any borough I wanted to. And I said, can you find something in Queens where I was born and raised? Uh, so I really wanted to just go back and and see what it was like, and um, <laughs> it was nothing <laughs> like TV. <laughs> it was nothing like TV. It was insane. Um, 
you know, I think we all have those friends who are a little on the crazy side. Yeah. I, I had a few students that was like that and had no idea what to do with this. You know, it was just they threw me right into the fire and I had to figure out how to put it out. Now, when you you get you get the teaching now, do you tell these kids, yo, I'm where you're from so I understand what's going on? Or do they just look at you as some uncool teacher? Because my, you know, my son now thinks I'm the uncoolest person on earth. Like they can't imagine that we were ever their age. Well, at, at 22, I was their age. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> Good point. That's true. So, so did that make some boundaries? I was. Weird? I I had to make boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people cared. Some people didn't care. So the delivery mattered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and sometimes they looked at me, who you know, at t- at the time I was a frail five eight, <laughs> slim, slender kid. I'm, I'm I'm nowhere near that anymore. But well, at I the time, I don't, I don't recall you being slim. No, <laughs> you were slimmer than you slimmer, were. Slimmer, slimmer. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but but compared to some of these kids and and, and some of these football players and hmm. these athletes, they were huge. And and I was looking up to a lot of them. Um, you know, literally. And <laughs> <laughs> so it, it there was some value in being from the area, and I think it took a while because they. They don't believe it until they see you. Mm. So we have a shopping area around here called Jamaica Avenue. And I think the first time a kid saw me on Jamaica Avenue where they go to buy their sneakers and their clothes, and I was doing the same thing, I think it shocked them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, 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 yeah. So when you made that request to go back to Queens, was it to go back to something familiar did you feel this drive to go back where you came came from you know i mean we've talked to several like Dwayne or or even one of uh, some of our upcoming guests who i mean i'm from flint michigan and they had this passion for the community that brought them back after they you know went and got their education and a little experience they wanted to bring it back I don't know if I really put that much thought into it. You know, I I, I knew I wanted to go back. I I didn't know why. And and it it was just something that kind of brought me back there. Um, But it wasn't like I I went to college or I went into the program thinking, yes, I'm going to go teach right in the community. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because where, where we're from, South Jamaica, Queens, it's a big community. And... I had never really been to Springfield Gardens where I, where I'd what? been for 20 years. I'd you never been to, there. How? Had never been there. Um, I always stayed on kind of my little side of But you have been to, you, you have been to Rockville. Yes, and that was the furthest I went. Yeah, but Springfield Gardens right around the corner. And I found that out. Uh, but, you know, that, that specific school, I had not heard too much about it. I knew it existed. There were other schools that I could have gone to. But... There was a pull, but I don't know what that pull was at the time. I definitely had no idea. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to be in the neighborhood. Now, during now during that time, like you, twenty two years, have you you've had chances to go other places? I'm sure. Oh yeah, yes, now, definitely. So what's um, keeping you there? Well, now at that time when I was hired, I really didn't know that I wanted to be there. But after a few years, it just 
I understood the importance. I understood, um, I guess, representation matters. Yeah, because that's my next thing. Because, you know, growing up for me, I did not have that many black teachers. I think I had maybe two. Oh, you had that many? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I can remember, I can remember Mrs. And two of them were English teachers. I remember Dr. D's, mm -hmm. which was a woman, and Mrs. Jones, which was a woman. And then in high school, I had Mr. Douglas, who was a chemistry teacher and guidance counselor who helped me, who helped me make the decision on what college to go to. So that's three in, what, 13 years? Wow. And wow. so how many did you have? Oh, spoiler alert, everyone who can't see, Charles is also black. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's a relevant question for him. Mm -hmm. I, I have one. One? One. Jeez. I have one. So... And 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 I was the only one at 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 the school at the time. Okay, so for how many years were you the only one? I'm curious because now you know you got to remember Springfield Gardens is in a predominantly black neighborhoods. So how many? How how long were you the only one? Well, 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 well I take that back. I, I, I was the only math teacher, the only black male math teacher. Oh, okay. And we had a department of sixteen teachers. <laughs> So, so, okay. So, one out um, of sixteen. That's not yeah, bad. Only, only one that was African American. Um, I think later on we had a couple more. Um, definitely had a couple of older Caribbean men there that were there. So, I, I was the only one that they saw for a little bit. I think you know, depending on the schedule that they had. Um, and that, and and that. I guess maybe five years in, I began to realize that I think this was the place that I wanted to stay. Yeah. So now you got there teaching math, but you know, over the course of this twenty-two years, you've you've taught like AP classes and and those kind of things. And how big do you think it is? Like, you know, because I had AP classes when I was in high school, but again, none of those teachers were black. How big is it? Do you think for a black? young black male or young black female to see you teaching those kind of classes in in hindsight i think it's huge uh i, I i'm facebook friends with a lot of the uh a lot of my former students and every now and then they'll they'll, they'll have this post or this meme that that asks how many black teachers have you ever had and for some of them they're gonna they say that i was the only one that they ever had. Now, at the time, I didn't, you know, I don't know their their path. I don't know their journey too much of what happened before. I don't know what happens after when they go to college. But, you know, over the years, I began to hear this and hear this. And I realized that what I've done is pretty significant. Yeah, you sound a little bit like I do sometimes. You don't realize what the heck you're doing. You just went to, you know, I always tell Sue, you know, I just went to coach basketball. Like, I didn't mean to be a mentor, I just I just showed up to coach a game and all this stuff came after. It sounds like you showed up to be a teacher and then had all this impact that you don't even, you're not even aware of, which surprises me, you know, be, about you. Because I, I would think, I would think you would, uh, were more aware when you got in. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to acknowledge it. <laughs> I think that that's the thing. I, I don't want to feel like it's, thing. it's, it's, uh, I'm not into patting myself on the back. Uh, that's why we're friends, Charles. You know, <laughs> because I think that it's it's really it's really a community effort. I think it's really a, a village effort. Um, 
I may play a more visible role, but there's so many people backing me, backing the program, backing the students that aren't credited for what they do. So I, I think sometimes that I have the easy part. You know, I get to throw out some footballs or or some track batons, and and and, and it, it's the fun part of the day. Now I never knew. Now I knew you played football. No, mm -hmm. okay. But the track thing always caught me off guard. I, I, I never knew you knew anything about track. <laughs> so I guess one thing, I, I guess maybe we never discussed. Um, I took a long route. Well, well, the other thing is that I took such a weird route to get where I am now. I'm, I'm a math teacher, but I majored in political science in college, in undergrad. And I have more of an interest in social studies, history, and as I mentioned, I was going to try to go to law school. Um, but at one point early on, maybe middle school, early high school, I wanted to be a math teacher. And I mentioned it to everyone because I had so much success in math. In any event, when I graduated high school, my first school was Syracuse University. And I was on the track team. At Syracuse? Yes. How am, I not, how am I just hearing this today? <laughs> what world? I ran a little bit of high school track and I walked Ooh. on to the track team at Syracuse University. So I was a Division One athlete. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yo, what the hell? That's outstanding. How am I just well, hearing this story for the first time? It, it was. It's, it sounds better than it is. And I got to wear uniforms <laughs> and I got some sneakers, which is great. But I, I was a walk-on and I found out very early what... A division one athlete really looks like mm -hmm. and uh i would be getting smoked at these track practices <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't talk about it much uh just because it was such a difficult experience but uh yeah at one Yo, point i was a d1 athlete if i was a division one athlete it would be all i talked about i know i would put it on a t-shirt <laughs> are you kidding me it would be in the tagline of this podcast <laughs> Strongly worded, hosted and, by and, Division One athletes. <laughs> <laughs> and I ran track really because I, I, I wanted to play football. And I also realized later on that 5'8", 185-pound guys really don't play football that often. <laughs> or they really don't want to because those guys at Syracuse <laughs> were huge. <laughs> uh, so I wanted no parts. Oh, my gosh. So now... But also, track is a good off-season sport for football players, right? Or no? You you would think, and I, I, I believe it is, and I really try to encourage my football players to run. Mm -hmm. But they're not interested in dealing with me after the season. I think one season's enough. <laughs> oh, so it's not the running, it's you. So they avoid so, me like the plague. So listen, yes. while I was up in New York, still living there, I went to a game that Charles coached once. And Charles is a, for the most part, a mild-mannered dude. I could not believe what I saw. I'm like, this dude is really on these kids, man. That's hilarious. Like, when you see me on the sideline, like, that's that's how I am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've always been a, a spirited person. But Charles was always like, you know, he would be the one telling me to calm down. And I looked over that sideline, I'm like, man. Uh, Charles is going to bust a vein out there. So you have oh. a coaching persona on the side? You have a sideline persona? 
Uh, well, it's been a while since Johnny, you've been to a game because I'm yeah. I'm mellow. Was younger then. I'm, yeah, I'm was, younger then, yeah. and, and I think the turning point in um, my coaching persona was once after the game, my mom pretty much asked, "What are you doing? Mm. What, what are you? What, why are you yelling and screaming? And it, it's not a good look." Mm. And from that day, you know, I, she she said that I should be having fun. Mm. And from that day, I've really just toned down the act, and uh, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I pull my guys to the side and just speak to them with confidence and speak to them with conviction. And they and they would still do the job. They didn't need to hear the yelling. That's, but that's how I was coached. So I thought that that was right. And uh, in the years since, I've learned that. Just speaking to a, a, a child respectfully is, is enough if they respect you. Yeah, like until you feel like in the beginning you were you were playing the role that you thought a coach should look like. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and and, and I've, I've evolved so much, and I, and coaching in in general has evolved so much. We we, we don't tolerate. Uh, I guess it, it would really be verbal abuse now. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what what. You can get away with back then. You cannot get away with now. And, and there's a lot of cases uh, that's been publicized on TV of, of coaches just going too far, throwing balls, throwing things, yelling at kids, grabbing face masks. All that stuff was regular back in the day. And, and, and now we've learned that, especially with children, uh, I, I guess it's... it's, it's it's trauma. You're inflicting trauma on them, mm. and, and they carry that with them. So we have to be mindful of that. And so I've I've learned a lot in 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 that sense of, you know, the psychology of dealing with children, and and what they take with them going forward. Yeah, I think you would be surprised when you if you saw me on the sideline. I don't I don't I yell at the kids, but it's 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 a different type of thing. It's loud coaching, is how I say. say. So I sit. At the scorer's table. And so I kind of experience all the coaches throughout the day. <laughs> you see and everything. There are, yeah, I do. It's mm. the best seat in the house. I don't yes, want to it give is. it up. Like, I keep inventing things that need to be done at that table. <laughs> so that's where I can watch the games from. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it has some of the coaches are yellers. And some of the coaches are, coaches are just louder coaches. Co- you oh. know, they just coach louder. And I think that's what it was. I mean, you're not demeaning. No, I try not. You're to. not humiliating those kids or shaming those kids at all. It's passion. But yes. It's not. It's not mean. And, and and I'm sure you sitting at the scorer's table, you can tell the difference. Mm-hmm. And you can tell when 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 some coaches are clearly out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, because I will get loud every now and then, and especially in football, you have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just yelling across the field, trying to get people's attention, things of that sort. But uh, I, I've also now noticed coaches, especially the younger coaches now, who were like I was when I first started, because mm-hmm. that's what they believe is the right thing. Mm-hmm. And do you try to mentor those guys? I have a tough enough time keeping up with my own staff and and new coaches because you know they come in very eager. They're, they're, they're ready to go and they want to they want to run a drill and they want to yell and scream they want to do what they again how, how they were they were coached and and so I spend a lot of time mentoring my own new coaches it's difficult to get to the the other yeah. coaches on the other mm-hmm. side I, I, I the other coaches are not gonna listen anyway Charles 
Take it from me. They're not going to listen. <laughs> I can imagine. They're, they're not going to listen to you. So, as coaching, what what has been the hardest, you know, you know, I have a lot of uh, players that I, you know, I go the extra mile for. And I, I've been lucky, like, so I've never really lost any of them. And what I mean by that is, you know, lost them to the streets or anything like that. Have you been in that situation in the 22 years? Like, who, who is, you know, can you think of a player that was, you lost him and it was tough and you did everything you could to keep him on the, you know, the straight and narrow? Hmm. I think that my biggest regret is not the ones that I lost. Mm. Uh, in in New York City, we, we have a huge transient pro, um, population. Kids really are just used to transferring from place to place to place, wherever their parents find a home or if, if they have to go live with another relative, they may leave. So I've never lost anyone per se that was still in the building after um, I had them. Usually they would leave and not play football again. But my biggest regret are the kids who early on that I kind of kicked off and, and I gave up on. Mm. It, it's so with 20 years in, I, I've, I've again, with, and, and Facebook has been such a huge help with this. I've been able to keep track of these guys growing up and what they've become. And for the most part, even the worst high school kid has become a productive citizen. A good father. Um, you know, they still run into their little issues. They have, they have decent jobs. They're hard workers. Uh, so at some point, they're going to become a man mm-hmm. or, or a woman with, you know, the, the, the young ladies that I've coached. So... Early on, there were times where I didn't have patience and I kept giving chance after chance after chance thinking that there had to be a finite amount of chances that I could give someone. When in fact, I've realized now that it, you can give them as many chances as you want to because they learn from every single opportunity. And at the end of the day, you're never going to see the result. Um, if you're coaching or if you're teaching and you expect to see everything come into fruition in the short time that you have them, um, you're, you're never going to be successful. So a lot of the things that I've, I've, I've instilled will come to fruition five, six, seven years later when they bump into you or they shout you out on Facebook and say, hey, I remember that day that you told me to whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as they you get older, they process these things better. You're planting seeds. I'm planting <laughs> the seeds. Right. And planting seeds. That's, Plant, that's a quicker that, that's way to Sue, say it. Yes. That's mm-hmm. Sue's favorite mm-hmm. saying. You I plant. do. I, I say that a lot. You plant the seed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that. Yeah. I, I um. I used to think the same thing, Charles. Like, you know, how many chances are we going to give a person? And so I, I kind of feel where you're coming from. But my <laughs> dad used to always. He was a super chance giver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he mm-hmm. never. He never stopped giving people chances. But you know it, it and I'm, I'm I'm glad that you have someone like Sue around to remind you that you're planting that seed. Because let me it, turn it, up the volume on this one, Johnny. Make sure you're listening here. Because it, it, it's just so important to to know that we are not gonna experience that instant gratification with these kids. We, we're just not. 
And, uh, you know, you talk about your dad being a, a chance giver. I think that early on as coaches, we believe that we lose credibility when we give increased amount of chances. Mm. And one of the things I often hear coaches say is that, oh, well, the other kids are watching. But each kid has a different, you know, they have a different mindset, they have a different experience, they have a different journey. So as long as they feel that you're doing things the right way, you know, you're keeping around someone for a good reason, uh, they're not going to turn into the other person. And there's a difference between giving somebody a lot of chances and not holding somebody accountable. Like, you can still have, I think, accountability in a program while, you know, giving giving lots of chances to do better or, or get right or whatever. You know, I mean, there are still cons- – I, I mean, I'm not going to name names, but I know we have kids in our program right now that you've given a lot of chances to or people have received a lot of chances but they also it, that accountability I think keeps them coming back and wanting one like if they know they've disappointed somebody they care about or if they've disappointed themselves or you know I don't know it, I think that the the respect goes away when there's no accountability because other kids see that well oh you say we can't do this well but we can because you're gonna let they, us come back they also don't have a they don't have the skill of articulating themselves really well either. Right. So, especially, you know, you have younger kids that you deal with, so they definitely do not... <laughs> when, when, when they get in trouble, they kind of just grunt. Like, they, they can't say or verbalize anything. Mm-hmm. And, and when they get frustrated, it's... Well, you can tell the difference between a, a frustrated 8-year-old, let's say, and a frustrated 16-year-old. Mm-hmm. You might the sixteen year old might be able to tell you more about what they're dealing with, and, and you'll be able to kind of get to the root of things. But for a younger kid, it, it's not that easy to do. So I, I'm not sure about holding them accountable, or I'm not sure if they'll even be able to recognize that they're being held accountable yet. Mm-hmm. Nah, they, I think once they get like thirteen, fourteen, they start to realize that. Yes. You know, Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think they realize at 11 and 12, but they mm-hmm. do They do once they become well, teenagers. I don't know that I agree with that because I think other kids can see in a group where, I mean, I, if if you say there's this consequence and then you don't back it up, kids can see that and they'll sniff uh, it out. Yes. And they're manipulative little beasts. I agree with and, you there, Sue. And, you know. and I think that the other thing that I learned is not to box myself in with consequences. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I will never say what I'm going to do. I'm just going to really suggest that this shouldn't be done. Mm -hmm. And then that way I I have the flexibility of the consequence when it happens. But to say, hey, if you miss five practices, you're suspended. But the kid legitimately misses five practices. Right. You're and stuck, what? and you have right. to suspend them. <laughs> so, or then when you don't, some other kid is like, "Yes." Mm-hmm. So, so I think that it, it's 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 incumbent on the coach not to box themselves in when holding their students accountable or their athletes accountable. Yeah. Now I have a question for you, Charles. Now this is as a parent, right? So you spend a lot of time coaching the track. You spend a lot of time coaching football. So I know you don't have as much time as home at home. Now, like, do your does your daughter ever? Well, she's still young, so mine's like she's still eleven, right? Mm-hmm. Does she ever 
I worry sometimes that Anthony thinks that I put more into other kids than him. Because I'm so involved everywhere now. Do you know now my wife never says that. No one ever says that. I this is a worry I have. So, you know, he doesn't say that. But this is a worry I have. Do you ever worry about that? Oh, absolutely. The 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 quarantine has helped so much because I've been home. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've been I've been the chef now. You know, I wake everyone up in the morning. I've been the chauffeur. I've been present. And I've never been present in this house for 12 months straight. Mm -hmm. So I also believe that I'm near the end of my coaching journey. Really? Um, yes. Once my daughter hits, uh, she's in middle school now. And, and, and should she decide to become an athlete, I, I plan to be at every game. <laughs> you know, if, I, if I'm not coaching her, I want to be there to watch and be there to participate. So I recognize that that comes in direct conflict with some of my seasons. So I feel I may have to give give those things up very soon. Mm. So it, it is a concern. When I when I got married, I spoke to my wife and mentioned when we went um, premarital counseling that how do you, oh, I asked her, how do you feel about becoming a coach's wife? <laughs> and had to explain and? what that is uh -huh. uh, because uh -huh. I don't think she really knew. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, when you when you have your family at these events and you have your family uh, maybe at the scorer's table or, or, mm -hmm. or selling tickets or, mm -hmm. um, you know, collecting money for the kids um, when they get their uniforms or just something like that. Uh, my wife does like the uh, uh, concessions at the football games. Mm -hmm. So they stay involved, and, and and I think that that's the best you can do early on, uh, so they can see what's going on and also still feel a part of it. I mean, can we tell a story how I always knew you were going to marry her? Like, can we talk about that? <laughs> Go ahead. I would like to know this story. So I met Tasha at a Models Christmas party in nineteen ninety. <laughs> I don't even know what. Was that 96? Or 95, probably. 95, 96, yep. Yeah, something like that. And from the moment I met her, I knew Charles was going to marry her. They are a perfect match. Now, <laughs> over, the, over the years before they got married, they had, I guess they had broken up. And I remember Ab coming to me and saying, oh, Charles and Tasha broke up. I said, it doesn't matter because they're going to get married. <laughs> And I used to tell him that. Yeah. And he did not believe me. Did not believe it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was, I was pretty lucky and got a second other... chance because you don't you don't usually get second chances like that. And so I'm, I'm I'm blessed that my wife saw something in me and uh gave me a second chance. <laughs> the other great story is I was telling Sue before we got on how I was supposed to go to your wedding. Yes. And do you remember why I I couldn't go? I remember uh, <laughs> Ebony was pregnant with Anthony. <laughs> so now that's how I know that you've you've been married almost fourteen years, thirteen, fourteen. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I remember when I got the call and um, you know, you said Ebony was upset that she couldn't go to the wedding. And, she cried. Yeah, <laughs> and I couldn't believe why. And he told me, "Oh, she's pregnant." I'm like, "What? <laughs> what are you crying about? This is what you wanted. This is amazing." <laughs> Yeah. But um, you know that yes. that just goes to show, really, uh, you know, friendship. How 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 friendship can last and how friendship can maintain even the distance that we are. So that's amazing. 
All right, quick sports story. Like I don't, I don't want to bore the podcast, but this is one of my favorite Charles Yarborough stories. Oh, <laughs> so when I was in New York, I, I tell people all the time. My dad never let me play basketball. He never, he didn't want me to play high school basketball. He didn't want me to travel for the team. Not that I would have made it, because my my school was tough. But he never let me try. But when when I got to be eighteen, nineteen, we played in this adult basketball league, and my dad was the coach. Okay. Charles was on the team. His brother, his brother and cousin were really the stars of the team. They were very, very good. You know, I was the shooter. Charles was the he was the defensive stopper. Okay, so we're so we're in a championship game, and the championship game goes to double overtime. Now, because of time constraints, the first person to three points wins the game. Okay. Okay, in double overtime. Now they're up one nothing, and they get a they get they get a breakaway layup. To win the game, the guy misses it. The next time down, my dad, we, now it's 1-1 for some reason. My dad subs me out of the game. Now I'm the shooter. And he puts Charles in because we need to stop them from getting three points. And I wasn't stopping nobody. <laughs> so he puts Charles in. Now Charles, like I said, he can shoot it a little bit, but he defenses this thing. Charles gets the ball. He goes baseline and takes the only reverse layup I've ever seen him take. He took a th- it was a 360 in the air and hits the winning basket. Oh my gosh. First of all, my dad thought he was a genius. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Do you remember that? I got that trophy at the house, by the way. I I, I really it. remember it vividly and actually, you know, it's accurate that I, I don't think I've ever taken that shot again. <laughs> um, I just don't, you know, I, I don't like to shoot Johnny was a shooter, but um, Johnny's dad, and, and I think that actually adds to my, my coaching journey. He was an amazing coach, and, and he had faith that he was fair. And it helped me understand as a coach just to be fair. And give everyone an opportunity and, and try to find some way to get everybody in. Because, you know, we, we could have just went with our star players because we had a lot of them. Mm-hmm. But Johnny made sure that every kid got in and every kid got a good experience. And and, and as a coach, um, you know, there, there are games that I, I, I guess I'll tell you a little secret. One of my coaching techniques I, I realized is um, whenever you have a team that you're blowing out and that you know you blow out. I've always made it a point to get my bench in as early as possible and make the game as close as possible. Yes, so, I don't do that. Mm-hmm. I nope. make the game as close as possible. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and here's why. Those athletes are getting such a good experience that it's going to help them later on and they'll be able to kind of deal with it. And, and, and you have to know as a coach when you have the game in hand. So if I feel that I know we're going to beat the team regardless, and, and, and I've never been burnt yet, but it's come close. Oh, and my yeah. assistant coaches, My assistant coaches are going crazy. But at the end of the day, I, I got my good athletes a little bit of time, and I got my developing athletes some valuable game experience. Yeah, the league, the league must hate me because I don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I try to crush you, and then I'll get those people in. Well, he, he, here's the thing with that. <laughs> that's, um, that's just me, though. You know, with basketball, I think that you have a clock on display. In football, the refs keep the 
time. So in a blowout game, second half becomes something that's so quick. quick. So with the close game, the psychology of it is that they run that clock the right way. So everyone gets enough time. But if I'm blowing someone out by 50 points, I could tell you that the second half is going to be, I don't know, what we play 12 minutes quarters, they're going to make it a four-minute quarter mm. in a heartbeat. So uh, we don't get paid for the <laughs> we don't get paid for the score. Yeah. And so I, I recognize that. And whether I win 50 nothing or I win, you know, 50 to 35, uh, we won. Everyone got a good experience. Everyone gets to go home happy, and they have they have film. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, but I get it. And, and but that's a little trick that's worked for me because at some point, I guarantee you, you're gonna need some of those developing athletes to play. Yes, that's the truth. Flagler United is a new kind of travel basketball experience for male and female athletes ages 8 to 18 here in Flagler County and beyond. For kids looking for quality coaching, ethical mentorship, competitive play, and a sense of unity in the community, look no further than Flagler United. To learn more about the program, check out their videos on Facebook and Instagram or visit flaglerunited.org. Tryouts are happening now for our summer season. And if you or your business is looking for a great sponsorship opportunity, Flagler United would love to work with you. Please email Coach Johnny at flaglerunited at gmail.com and he'll give you all the details. Flagler United. Together we play. United we ball. Now let me ask you, so 22 years of teaching, what is the biggest success story you've had with the student? Because you got a lot. I see your Facebook page all the time. They love you. And so I know you hear from them. What the, what the biggest success story you have? Or do you want to even name it? Because you, you, know, I don't, you don't want to alienate the other kids, but come on. <laughs> they don't listen to the podcast. Well, I'll tell you one story that one of the few times that I've cried directly in front of a student in the classroom. Oh, you and, punk. I do, <laughs> I do like a good cry story. And, Bring it. And, and I was, uh, this young man was struggling academically, and I think he was cutting classes and uh, things of that sort. And I was at Perry Teacher Conference, and he, he came down with his report card and had turned it around and had straight 90s and 100s and he just said thank you coach i appreciate you pushing me um and this is what you're gonna get for the rest of the time i'm here Hmm. and i literally just broke out crying i couldn't believe it because it it was just such a huge turnaround And, and so now this young man is a nurse uh, he's has his master's degree. <laughs> he just wow. got his master's degree. And um, it, that's one of the brightest moments that I had. And can you, that, can you take a step back, though, and, like, acknowledge that you had a hand in it? Do you do that? Because I have a hard time with that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't, yeah, I have a hard time with that. We'll just put it that way. 
Well, a lot of times I have to thank the parents for allowing me and trusting me to, to be a part of the journey. Because uh, I, I, I knew his mom, I knew that they had a lot of struggles. His dad, this is one of the instances where his dad wasn't around. I taught the sister. They, they were struggling, but mom trusted me. She called me often and, and really just allowed me to, to work. So you have to have willing parents in order to be a, a part of it, to be able to do what you do. Uh, when I was younger, my dad, my dad was around and my dad, he passed away, but he was present. You know, we lived together. He was married to my mom at the time. And so I wasn't one of those persons, one of those kids that didn't have a dad growing up. I had a dad, but I had a good track coach who people would think is a father figure. And I would like to just, I think of it more. He, he was just a good coach, a good mentor, a good friend. And it bothered my dad. Mm. He had a difficult time with it. He, he, he had a difficult time because he, he kind of felt that the coach was taking his place. Even though in my mind he wasn't. So my dad made things very difficult for my coach. Mm. Who really only had good intentions. So I, I'm very careful in that sense. And um, I know that interesting side of the story that we I've not really ever yeah, considered. I, yeah, I was going to say, I've never really thought about that mm-hmm. at all. Well, I'll, I'll give you another story real quick. Uh, one kid, one day, his 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 cleats were, were falling apart. Literally falling apart on the field. And I gave him my cleats. He finished practice and went home. He came back the next day. Oh, and, and these were new cleats that I had. I, it, it wasn't like I gave them off my feet. I just gave him a new, new, new pair of cleats. We wore the same size. Here, you can have them. I'm going to go get another pair. He comes back the next day with the cleats saying, my dad said, I can't have them. Said that if, if anyone's going to get him cleats, it would be him. And I knew at the time that dad couldn't afford it. Dad was out of work and was, was having a hard time. Uh, and, and I would have accepted the money later. It, it, it didn't bother me at all. It wasn't like I felt like I was, it, it was just a natural thing. Here, take the cleats. But to dad, his dad, it felt like I was overstepping my boundaries. I mean, I could see some pride in there. I could, yes, I could see how a parent would, would do that. I mean, Oh, I, I understood, I, I and I understood that. loud and clear, and it was something that now, uh, going forward, I had to be cognizant about, and I had to reach out to the parent and let them know, and um, it, it, it forced me to, to grow up a little bit, it forced me to be more responsible, it forced me to be more accountable, to to speak to the parent, just make a simple call would have helped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you, so, you, so how does that call go, hey, your son is out here in cleats that are falling apart, can I give him these cleats? And then Absolutely. he says no. And then he says no. Well, I I, I think that he would have said yes. Mm. Just, you you think the 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 visceral reaction is just to you doing it without checking in? Absolutely. I wow. I, I think that the check in is the most important part. Well, here's a and it's the most respectful part. If you want to give my son some free shit, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that saves me money, I'm cool. Right. I don't, but you know. but I think that you're right and you're onto something that the communication with the parents is so paramount. I, I have had 
experiences with coaches who are fabulous communicators and make me feel like part of the process. And I have had experiences with coaches who make me feel like I am not welcome in part of the process. And I'll tell you which one I like better. <laughs> and which one I feel more comfortable, you know, entrusting my kid to. So and, and you're right, Sue, and I think it's it it's even it's as important as the X's and O's and it's as important as as whatever happens on the field or the court. That communication it just truly makes it a community experience. So I had to learn that the hard way. Never had that issue again after that. Yeah. What do you like coaching better, track or football? <laughs> I think I know. I think I know the answer to this. Oh man, track! I knew yeah. it. That's that. That was it. He yeah. wa- he wanted Tiara to run track so bad. Did she not run track nah. with those legs? Nope. That that's that's what he said. Wow. He said I'd have to get her to try. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I'll I'll tell you why. Um, I get to watch track mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at, at competition, at, you know, it, I do all my coaching during the week. So at competition, I get to go all the way up to the top if, if you know, they have a stadium. And I get to film. And mm-hmm. I just get to watch the beauty of the sport. Uh, football, is so much going on at, at, at one time. And, and being a head coach, I have to be on the sideline. And I believe that the sideline is the worst seat in the house. Mm-hmm. You can't see anything. Um, you can't hear anything. Uh, I'm at the mercy of, of whoever is in my ear or in my headphones telling me what, you know, what to relate to the athletes. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think I like track in that sense. Mm-hmm. That's a great point, too. I, you get your coaching done during the week so you can sit back and soak it in at the meet. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, yeah. This- do, you, do you teach, do you coach girls? Do you coach females? Yes, <laughs> I coach boys and girls. Um, it, it <laughs> Which one do you like better? I know. Here we go. Let's have it. Let's talk about how great coaching girls is. <laughs> coaching girls is a lot of fun. I have to say, it's a lot it's the of best. fun. It's the best. It is. I, it I, is. I, you know, coaching boys and coaching girls is obvious. Obvious differences, but. Uh, yeah, I think I enjoy coaching girls. Um, I had to give that up recently. Because why? Why do you like coaching girls more? Because I know why I like Once them. you get girls to buy in. There you go, baby. There you go. <laughs> Once you get them to buy in, they follow directions. <laughs> Point Wait, blank, period. Over and over. They follow directions. They, 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 they also communicate back to you what... You know what's going on, what they like, what they dislike. Uh, so I've I've had a lot of success coaching girls. Listen, I'm coaching a young lady right now who will remain nameless. Okay, who when I start <laughs> when I started coaching her, Charles, she wouldn't dribble the ball. Okay, mm-hmm. and now I'm getting messages that she's ready to be the point guard for the travel team. Wow, Le- let's go! <laughs> wow, yes. <laughs> So, yes, when they buy in, they're ready to roll, especially when they see positive results. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they, you know, like, for some reason, boys will see positive results and think that has nothing to do with, with what the coach said. I've just become great. Right. 
But a young lady will see positive results and say, oh, if I keep doing the same work I've been doing, I'll get even better. Right. Yeah. And then you also have a uh, pain threshold. <laughs> they can deal with tough workout. Um, mm. You know, again, for physiological reasons, they can handle that. Um, and, you know, my, my best athletes, my best um, young ladies never really wanted to be coddled. Mm-hmm. So there was a track meet where uh, they're running the 400. They're on the other side of the field and uh, a young lady goes down. And they're sitting around looking at me and saying, why are you not running over there to, to help her? And I say, just wait a second. She's going to get up. <laughs> so she looks around. She sees that, you know, I'm not coming. She gets up <laughs> and she jogs back to the area. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. some of the guys would have stayed down and, and rolled and around it up a little bit. <laughs> rolled around, screamed, <laughs> called for the wheelchair. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I, I've dealt with some you know most of the, my toughest athletes have been young ladies and that's been yeah. a good thing yeah I, you know I told you about that travel team that we had beat during the season mm-hmm. well they they made sure they bought their whole entire roster for the championship game Charles they had about nine, 97,000 kids I know all these kids we hadn't seen before I'm right. running furiously so they, they, their names so, so they beat us in the championship game beat us, they beat us pretty good but I had one person that was getting back on defense every time and mm-hmm. took, like, charges in the game. And that person was a young lady. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. She took a charge. Dead. She's oh, dead. Like from their center. <laughs> that buy-in is, is, is so important. Once they buy in, they'll go through walls for you or try to mm-hmm. act like they are a wall <laughs> in that case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So listen, uh, as we wrap up, I just want to say being a teacher and in the front lines in New York of all places during a pandemic is a pretty amazing feat that you and your wife are, are right out there looking after our kids and, 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 and doing what you do under continually uh, hard, unsurmountable circumstances. And I appreciate on behalf of parents everywhere everything you all uh, are doing for for the kids right now. I can't imagine being a teacher in 2020 and 2021, and I just I have huge amounts of respect. So thank you for being out there and and making all this all this work. Thank you. It's been so difficult, and uh, you know any amount of appreciation that we can get goes a long way. I'll tell you because there's you know for every person that's thanking us there's a couple people saying that we're not doing anything mm-hmm. and that's been that's been very difficult um and, and and this whole situation has been so real um this has been one of the more difficult times of my life mm-hmm. uh, seeing a lot of people pass and um realizing how how vicious and how much of a monster that this uh this covid is has been mm-hmm. so um you know, but I think that we're, we're hopeful, hoping that we're at the end of it, and looking forward to being able to go back and be in a building with my kids because I, I I I miss seeing them, and uh, I can't wait to get back in there again. I'm sure they miss you too. I so <laughs> I had a question in my mind and it slipped my mind and now it's it's back. Okay. So what I want to ask you is, being in the building with the teachers and in that community, how many times have you had? 
to go to bat for uh, a black kid who these teachers didn't understand. But you happened to understand because you were from there. Or can you talk about that? Like, you know, of I course I can. <laughs> I don't want to get you in trouble. Like, you know. No, no. I, and I go to bat for my students often. Um, I, I'm blessed to really work with a very open-minded staff. Uh, you know, people are people. And, and once you begin to just have an understanding of their journey then it becomes easier to deal with them. Uh, it, it goes beyond racial barriers or um, gender barriers or anything like that. So I've had students who I, I've just politely explained the situation where they're coming from. And most people are generally sympathetic to it. And they understand. Um, must be nice to be in New York. <laughs> oh no no we, 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 we do we do have some people who are who are adamantly against it and, and they feel that they feel the way they feel. And, and so I try to avoid them like the plague and I try to have my students avoid them like the plague. Um and, and it's a learning lesson. It's a learning opportunity for them. It's a teachable moment for them. Hey, listen, this is how you have to deal with this teacher. Um so I had an opportunity to be a dean last year, mm. right before quarantine. Um, I was out of the classroom for the year, and I was dean in charge of discipline. And one of the things that, again, we, we, we teach and we coach. It's teaching and coaching are similar. We try to teach and coach the way that we were taught or the way we were coached. And we have this confirmation bias that, well, we turned out okay, so it's obviously okay. So one of the issues that is prevalent in the high, especially in high school, is that they like to really overpunish these kids. Mm. And as a dean, I had an opportunity to kind of pull back on that. So whereas a kid may have gotten a two or three day suspension for something, I was able to keep them in school, which is really the goal, and assure that they would not repeat the behavior. Because at the end of the day, that's really what the punishment is about, making sure that they don't repeat the activity but or, or repeat the infraction, excuse me. So I would often speak to teachers who felt that I was being too lenient and say, well, what is the goal? If I can get this kid not to do this infraction again without suspending them, did I meet the goal? And... For, for the open-minded teachers, they'll say yes, and they understand, and we can move on. And then there's some that feel that we have to punish. That's the only way. Accountability, punishment. Accountability, punishment. You'll never get through to those people. Mm -hmm. I hope I answered your question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that is a, and it's a thoughtful answer. I mean, I know... I can see, you know, I did a little substitute teaching, and mm -hmm. I can, and I was an avid, avid tutor for a year, and I can see how um, initially it can be frustrating in the classroom if you feel like you a behavior is elevated to the point that you bring in the dean, mm -hmm. you know. But I would hope that I would have been one of those open-minded ones to be reminded that the point is to keep them, is to is to redirect and keep them in class. Um, I, I, I think in parenting, coaching teaching uh and I've, I've developed this mantra over the last maybe three or four years 
we just have to get past the moment. Mm-hmm. In the moment, we are so, as adults, we are so frustrated. We cannot understand what these kids are thinking. We want to do X, Y, and Z to them three, four times. But once we get past that moment and get past the adrenaline that the infraction or the whatever happened brings forth, um, we're usually pretty sensible and pretty understanding. So for me, it's getting past that moment. And then if I get past the moment, I'm good. So That's fantastic. That's a, yep, that's a great mantra to have. Get, past, to get past the moment. Get past, I'm stealing that, John. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think that all of our listeners could, could reflect on that and, and take something away from that. Charles, it has been an absolute pleasure having you here with us today. Um, we appreciate your support of the podcast along the way. Um, it's I have heard uh, a lot about you and your friendship with Johnny over time, and I'm glad we were finally able to bring you on the show. Thanks for spending an hour with us on this Sunday morning. Yes, and thank you for your generous donation to Flagler United. And thank you for your generous donation to Flagler United. Listen, thank you guys for, for bringing forth this podcast. You're doing a great thing. I wish you all the success in the world. I, I can't wait to meet you personally one day, Sue, when I come down yep. to Palm Coast. That's where you guys live, right? Palm Coast. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah when I come are. visit Palm Coast, hopefully, if um, you know things work out, I can actually sit into your in, in your nice studio too. Yeah, that'll be fantastic. <laughs> and come back. Open invitation anytime. <laughs> all anytime. Right. Take all care. right, ladies Thank and gentlemen, you, you can find us uh, on our, our social media. Uh, Instagram is the Strongly Worded Pod. On Facebook, look for the Strongly Worded Podcast Group. And on Twitter, we are the Strongly Worded P. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Thank you so much, Charles. We appreciate you coming by today. All right, Thank brother. You. Take care. Take care. This Strongly Worded Podcast is written and produced by Johnny Hampton and Sue O'Lear. Music production and vocals by Marshall Max Lamont Hamilton and cover art by Samantha Shakes.